Who are the real people we consider our sages? Who were they in life? What is the legacy they left us? Join Rabbi Danny Saxton for the next hour as he explores the lives of our Torah giants, the spiritual geniuses who shaped the way we approach Judaism today. That's Focus on Our Sages right now on 101.9 High FM. Good afternoon and welcome to Soul to Soul. It's wonderful to be with you on a Wednesday afternoon. And today is a very significant day for a number of reasons. Firstly, today is the 15th of Adar Aleph, the 15th day of the first Adar. Today is, this year is a leap year in the Jewish calendar. Um, so every um, uh, couple of years we have a leap year in the Jewish calendar in order to correct itself. Remember, the Jewish calendar is a lunar calendar. And so um, it's, the Torah says that Pesach always needs to be in spring. And so the leap year corrects the time when Pesach will be and ensures that um, we don't um, have our festivals at all different times of the year because it's, it's uh, a, the, the lunar calendar is shorter than the solar calendar. And so if you didn't have the correction of the leap year, so the, there would be a significant change in when we have the festivals and Pesach needs to be in spring. So that's why we have a leap year this year. We have two Adars, um, Adar Rishon and Adar Sheni, and we celebrate Purim in Adar Sheni. The reason why I said by Purim in the second Adar is the Gemara says there needs to be a smichas geula de geula. There is a, a connection of one miracle and redemption of Hashem on behalf of the Jewish people to the other one. So Pesach and Purim are always 30 days apart, and therefore in a leap year we'll celebrate Purim in the second Adar. So we're in the first Adar. Today is the 15th day of the first Adar, which makes today Shushan Purim Katan which means that if it was a regular Adar and only one Adar, today would be Shushan Purim, yesterday would have been Purim. So yesterday was Purim Katan, and today is Shushan Purim Katan, which is, um, it says in the Shulchan Aruch and in the Mishnah Bura, that one should celebrate more than usual on these days, and we don't say Tachanun, um, they're days of rejoicing, of Simcha, we remember the nes, the miracles that Hashem did on our behalf at this time. And also, today is significant not only because it's Shushan Purim Katan, but today is significant also because there is a wonderful cycle of learning that was introduced 14 years ago um, by an organization called Dirshu. Dirshu is a religious organization that encourages the learning of Torah. Um, they have wonderful programs in the Daf Yomi um, learning cycle in which they encourage people to learn, in which they provide incentives for people to learn. And they introduced Dirshu, this organization called Dirshu, which was founded by Rabbi David Hofstetter, who's from Canada, and uh, he funds it himself. It's a wonderful organization that has brought um, Torah learning to many thousands of Jews across the globe. And one of his initiatives is what's called the Dirshu Dafa Yomi Bahalocha program, which the idea was, Rabbi Shapiro started in the 1930s, the idea of Daf Yomi and Gomorrah. So every day, a Daf of a Gomorrah would be learned, and thousands of Jews, hundreds of thousands of Jews across the world would be learning the same Daf of Gomorrah, and they would finish, they would complete Shas after seven years, just over seven years. And David Hofstadter, 14 years ago, came up with a brilliant idea, why don't we introduce the same type of program to the learning of Halacha, to the learning of 
what we should do, what our halachi practice should be. So, of course, everything stems from the Talmud, from the Gemara, and the root of all the halacha and the halachi discussions all come from the Talmud. But there's a lot of learning and there's a lot of understanding until you get to actually what we call the psak halacha, which is the final halachic um, practice and how a Jew should live and how a Jew should um, act and behave. Um, so that's the psak halacha. And so he introduced this program called the Dafayomim Bahalacha program, in which one page of Mishnah Brura would be learned each day, five days a week, and it takes exactly 11, seven years to complete. In 2015, the program was introduced to South Africa. It was launched, it was actually their second cycle, but South Africa's first cycle, and there was a big event that was held um, in Johannesburg, and we, there was a concert, and there was a dinner. It was a very special and inspiring event. And so Dirshu Dafayom Balach was launched here in South Africa. And uh, many different communities and many different people um, joined the program. And my community was one such community at the Sunny Road Kehila. And uh, we've been having a shear for the last seven years every day, every morning after davening, in the Mishnah Bura. And we've been learning our one page of Mishnah Bura. And even during lockdown and even during holidays so i record the shear and send it out and we've been keeping up with this wonderful program and today is the day when we have completed the entire mishnah Bura. the mishnah Bura is six volumes and it's 1821 pages 1821 pages and today we completed the mishnah Bura, which is really such a great joy and a wonderful achievement and a number of people in my shul have completed the Mishnah Bura together with me. And there are many, many people here in South Africa and Johannesburg and the rest of South Africa that have joined the program and have completed the Mishnah Bura. It really is a wonderful achievement and a real tribute to the concept of Rav Meir Shapiro of not letting a day go by without learning Torah. And if one learns a certain amount each day, so in seven years, one gets through eight, 1,821 pages. I and mean, that's only five days a week. If it was seven days a week, it would be even more. And this really is a, a wonderful achievement and a great feeling to have gone through the entire Mishnah Bura. And it really is the basic hal halachic work for Klal Yisrael. So what I want to do today, because we finished the cycle and we, so in our shul we had a seum this morning. A seum is a celebration over the completion of the section of Torah learning. And tonight is the big uh, communal-wide seum, and there will be a concert with this first day, a dinner in celebration and completion of, of the Mishnah Bura. And then there's a concert with Yonatan Rizal, who has been brought out from Israel. And we all know Yonatan Rizal is an outstanding performer, beautiful music and songs and very powerful words, holy words that connect us to Hashem. So it's a, a great celebration and opportunity to pay tribute to Torah learning and to um, this wonderful program that encourages Torah learning throughout um, the world. So what I wanted to do today with our short time that we have together is to discuss what the Mishnah Bura is. So there's a lot of excitement in town about completing the Mishnah Bura. Let's try and understand what the Mishnah Bura is and why it is so significant and how it has impacted on the Jewish world in an incredible way. And what I want to share with you is uh, what I've heard from my Rabbi, Rabbi Beryl Wine, and uh, a beautiful overview of why the Mishnah Bura was so, um, was so important and has had such a tremendous impact on the Jewish world. 
So it's important to get a bit of a historical overview as to what was going on in Eastern Europe. Um, the uh, Up until the middle of the 18th century, so much of observance within the Jewish world was really community orientated and um, not so much um, scholarly, in, in other words, not so much learning orientated. In other words, people, they, as what Rabbi Wine calls Judaism, that's a mile wide and an inch deep. Um, so that kind of Judaism, which was quite superficial, people were observing because that's what their parents or grandparents did, but they didn't really have a deep connection and understanding. So that certainly wouldn't stand up to the turbulent winds that would blow in the 18th and 19th century in Europe. And the, the challenges to traditional Judaism were absolutely massive. Um, coming from the Haskalah, which was the so-called Enlightenment movement, from secular Zionism, from assimilation. And if one didn't have their roots deeply planted in the ground and a deep, significant spiritual connection and understanding of what it means to be a Jew and what the mitzvahs are for and what Jewish observance is about, so it was would be unlikely that one could stand up to these strong winds that were blowing at the times. And only a Jew rooted in learning and rooted in... Um, in deep spiritual connection would survive this onslaught. Uh, most of, we're talking in the region of 90% of European Jews were not well educated and weren't self-sufficient in their own learning. And therefore they were victim to these massive changes that took place at the time. And so um, the, the, the rabbis saw what was coming and saw these great dangers that were on the horizon and they realized that Judaism had to shift from being community orientated to learning orientated. And only through the learning of Torah would it be possible for Judaism to survive and to pass on to the next generation and to be vibrant and strong and healthy within um, Klai Yisrael, in the Jewish world. The, the Vulner Goen, actually, the great uh, Gro, Vulner of Eliyahu Kramer, the great Vulner Goen, who lived in the 18th century in Lithuania, in Vilna, and we South Africans are all primarily um, Litvaks. We came, our ancestors come from Lithuania. So he was prof almost prophetic, the Goen, in his understanding of the dangers and destruction that the Haskalah would cause to traditional Judaism. And he, he said the first generation, they just want to introduce a little bit of Tanakh, a little bit of he Hebrew, maybe make some change to the educational system. But essentially they're good people. He said the next generation, the second generation, would undermine the authority of the rabbis. The third generation would deny religion altogether, and the fourth generation would assimilate. So the Goan saw where it was going, and he was prophetic in his vision because that's exactly what happened. Um, and so by the mid-1700s, there was the impact of the Haskalah was very deep and far-reaching throughout Europe. And it became a massive struggle to preserve and maintain traditional Judaism. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. Vilna Goen, in his vision and understanding of where the world was going, where Europe was going, 
realized that it was necessary for Jews to have the understanding of halacha in a more accessible way. There was um, the writing of the Shulchan Aruch, which was written by Rav Yosef Karo in the 1540s, in the 16th century. And uh, that, of course, was a monumentous work, which was a summary of all the halakhic discussions in the Talmud and the psak halacha, the way a person should, should follow based on the um, understanding of the Rambam, the Rif and the Rosh, the three main Rishonim um, on the Gemara, on the Talmud. So it was with Rav Yosef Karo wrote his book, the Shulchan Aruch, to make it easier for a Jew to understand what the halacha is, what the requirement of God is in the behavior of every Jew, in terms of all the mitzvahs, of what we should do, in terms of our davening, our brochas, keeping Shabbos, keeping Yom Tov, these practical halachic um, observances, um, every Jew needs to know what to do and how to how to live according to halacha. And so he wrote the Shulchan Aruch with an intention that nothing else would be needed, that this would be a summary of the halachic observance of a Jew, and nothing further would be needed to be studied for a Jew to fulfill the will of God. Um, but like um, is the pattern in Jewish history, very often these kind of books were written and they were written to be a summary and to make things easier. And then there were commentaries that were written on them and the commentaries written on them only made life more complicated. So the first example, of course, is the Rambam. When the Rambam wrote his uh, Magnus Opus, Namuri Nebuchim, I'm not Namuri, I'm sorry, the Mishnah Torah, his great classic work, the Mishnah Torah, which he, the Rambam said, you learn my book, you don't have to learn anything else. It, incomplete, it uh, incorporates and covers everything that a Jew needs to know in terms of their understanding and observance as a Jew. But um, the Rambam intended to simplify things and to enhance the observance of Klai Yisrael. But there were many, many commentaries written on the Rambam, hundreds and thousands even, commentaries written on the Rambam's Mishnah Torah. And so... It's uh, only made things more complicated, uh, not the Rambam's work, but those commentaries. And likewise with the Shulchan Aruch. So there were many commentaries and super commentaries written on the Shulchan Aruch. And the Vulnagon saw that with the passage of time, it was not easy for the average Jew to understand what to do. The Shulchan Aruch wrote the, the Halacha, the Ramor, who the Rav Moshe Isilis, who was in Krakow in Poland, he wrote, um, he made the Shulchan Aruch Ashkenazi friendly and wrote the observances of Ashkenazim in the Shulchan Aruch. But then with the abundance of commentaries, only the scholars really knew what we follow, what we don't follow, what the practical halacha is from the Shulchan Aruch. And so things became difficult and complicated. And so the Talmud of the, um, of the Volnagon, his name was Rav Abraham Danzig. He's a uh, he wrote a sefer, just in, incidentally, interestingly enough, just in um, parentheses. So Rabbi Avram Danzig, he wrote the sefer called the Chaya Adam, and uh, being the primary Talmud student of the Grah, the Vilna And he was buried right next to the Vilna And the communists, the Russians, the, uh, the Jewish cemetery in Vilna, in their great and compassionate um, progressive way, decided to turn the cemetery into a soccer field, right? And they they dug up all the graves of the cemetery. Can you imagine such a thing? The ancient cemetery of Vilna and Rav, um, the, the great Rav Tatz, Rav Pinchas Eliezer Tatz of, of uh, Elizabeth, New Jersey. So he, um, he with his connections in, in Congress and uh, connections in Russia as well, 
So he was able to put pressure on the Russian government to allow them to exhume six bodies. There were six in a row, um, the Vondagoan, and next to him, the Gerrit Sedek, uh, Rav, uh, he was, Valentin Pataki was a great Polish nobleman who converted to Judaism and was burnt at the stake because he didn't denounce Judaism. And all one of those six was also Rav Avram Danzig, the the High uh, Adam, and Rav Taitz was there when they exhumed the bodies, and he told Rabbi Wein, and I heard from Rabbi Wein, that he said he saw the body of the Gun was intact. This was now um, 200 years later, and he saw that the Gun's body was completely intact and had not um, uh, had not been consumed or disintegrated in 200 years. There was the righteousness of the Gun. So that was seen by somebody who actually told Rabbi Wein, who I heard from. So that's, uh, you know, third hand that the Vulnagon's body was intact 200 years later. So anyway, the Gorn, um he directed his Talmud, the Chaya Adam, Ravaram Danzig, and he wrote something called the um, Chaya Adam. Now, the Chaya Adam was a work which was intended to assist in the observance of, of Halacha, and also a summary. So instead of explaining what Shukhan says and then going into all the super commentaries, which are very complicated and really the limited to the realm of scholars, the High Adam gave the Psak Halacha, summarized the, the Halacha of what should be. And at a similar time, Rav Michiel Michal Epstein, he was the Rav in Navardok, he also wrote a similar kind of work called the Aruch HaShulchan. Now, Navardok was actually a very small town. He was a great rabbi in a small town. It became famous because it had a very famous Musa Yeshiva, the Navardok Yeshiva. But one found in Lithuania that a lot of the great rabbis were often rabbis of these very small towns. Why? Because although their salary wasn't great, they were left alone to learn, they were left alone to write, which is what they wanted to do. They didn't want to be the rov of a big shul in a big city in which they'd be completely hounded. Um, Rabbi Wein's father, actually, he was a Ben Bias by the Chavetz Chaim, he grew up in the home of the Chavetz Chaim. Um, he was, his name was Rabbi Eliezer Levine. He was a rabbi also of a small town in Lithuania, and his town there were 41 Jewish families and 19 non-Jewish families. And uh, his wife, you know, had a little bit of a store, sold some things, and that's how, you know, what did he receive from the shul? I mean, there's 40 families that couldn't really support a rabbi. So he, uh, they gave him a goat. That was his salary, was a goat from the shul. So they used the goat for milk, and they sold some things on the side. That's how they survived. But then he left in Lithuania in 1934, and uh, Rabbi Wines wife was his daughter, she was four years old at the time, and they uh, went to Detroit, and in Detroit he was the rov of a big shul, did have one second to himself, so, um, but that was generally the case in Lithuania. So, Rav Yechil Michal Epstein, he writes the Aruch HaShulchan in the 1860s, a little bit after the Chaya Adam, and um, he wrote it on all four Chalakim of the Shulchan Aruch, again, with the intention to make the observance of mitzvahs accessible and easily understood by the masses, by Klal Yisrael. Uh, he wrote it on all four sections of the Shulchan Aruch, and he took Psach Halacha onto his shoulders, he actually gave Psach Halacha, and that was a revelation in Lithuania at the time. The Rabbonim of Lithuania absolutely loved the Aruch HaShulchan, and they used it and followed it very closely throughout Lithuania. Um, so at a, a similar time, a little bit later, we have the great and holy Rav Yisrael Mea Kagan the Chofetz Chaim. And we all know the Chovetz Chaim, we call him the Chovetz Chaim, Rav Yisrael Kagan HaKohen, because of the first book that he wrote, which was a book about um, the laws of Loshon Hora. 
and the damage and dangers of speaking Lashar. But that, that's really Shmir Salashan where he explains the concepts. But the practical halacha is what's called, um, the, the sefer called Chofetz Chaim. And he wrote that in his 20s. He first wrote it um, anonymously, so people didn't know who he was. But the Jewish world has a way of sniffing out the righteous and holy people. And he was soon found out, and his anonymity was uh, was blown. Um, and he he became a legend in Lithuania, a very well-known person. He wrote many books on many different subjects. He actually wrote a book for immigrants going to the United States because there was a lot of immigration um, from Eastern Europe to the United States. He wrote a sefer called Nitre Yisrael, in which he um, implored the Jews leaving Europe and going to America, where there was very little in terms of infrastructure of um, religious observance. He implored them not to break Shabbos, and if they had to go to work on Shabbos, how to do things to minimize the Hillel Shabbos. Um, so he also wrote a very famous sefer called Avas Chesed, which is about the importance of kindness and compassion and helping others. And uh, he became a very well-known person in Lithuania, the Chovetz Chaim. He was very close to Rav Chaim Ozer Grzynski. Rav Chaim Ozer was the Gadlador, was the leader of Lithuanian Jewry at the time. Um, they used to say about Rav Chaim Ozer, Rav Chaim Ozer was a tremendous Talmudic genius, but he was also a big tzaddik. They said the um, the righteousness of Rav Chaim Ozer was shadowed by his genius. So he was seen as a Talmud Chochmah, not such a and not as a pious, as this great pious person, because um, his piety was overshadowed by his um, by his Torah knowledge, his scholarship, and the opposite of the Chovetz Chaim, that the Chovetz Chaim was a great tzaddik and also Talmud Chochem, but his piety overshadowed his his scholarship and his and his knowledge. So Rav Chaim was, was known as the great genius Talmud Chochem, the Chovetz Chaim was known as the great pious tzaddik, but they both of them were really both. They both of them were great scholars and great holy noble people. And so the Chovetz Chaim writes decides to write a sefer, a book. A halachic summary, which would be practical and accessible um, to Klal Yisrael, and he understood and saw very clearly the situation in the 19th century in Lithuania, and the Chovetz Chaim's view, which turned out to be 100% correct, was the future of the Jewish world was through the yeshivas, that through the famous Lithuanian yeshivas, that's how Torah would survive, and that would take Torah observance to the next generation. And so he opens his own yeshiva, the yeshiva in Radin. He was never the Rosh Yeshiva. His son-in-law, who was also a great genius, Rotsvi Hirsch Levinson, became the Rosh Yeshiva. Um, and they were quite an interesting pair, the Chovetz Chaim and Rav Levinson. Um, Rav Levinson was six foot four, and the Chovetz Chaim was something like four foot six. So uh, Rav Wein said, his father-in-law said that, you know, to see the two of them walking together was quite a sight to see. So they decided to write this work on Orachaim. So Shulchan Aruch is made up of four sections. Uh, again, the Shulchan Aruch, written by Rav Yosef Karo in the 1540s, is an overview of all Jewish law, of all um, Jewish observance. And there are four different sections of the Shulchan Aruch. Um, the first section, well, I, you know, I can, I'll mention all four of them. We don't have time to go through all of them. So there's uh, Orachaim, which deals with Jewish observance, which deals with the um, practical daily observance of a Jew in our life. Orachayim deals with blessings. Orachayim deals with um, with the uh, observance of Shabbos, deals with davening, deals with um, the observance of Yom Tov, all the practical halachas that a Jew needs to know in order to be an observant Jew. You then have Evan Ezer, which deals with 
aspects like marriage and divorce. You have um, you have Choshen um, Mishpat, which is the third section of Shulchan Aruch, which deals with um, the laws of money, ownership, um, damages, which are which covers all aspects of commercial transactions, and that's what uh, a, a Dayan has to know in order to be a Dayan very well. The laws of Choshen Mishpat, and finally you have Yeradeh, which deals with laws of Kashrus, and uh, and the laws of, the laws of Shkita, laws of Nida, those types of things. So. The average Jew needs to know Orachaim well in order to observe. And so the Chovetz Chaim and his son-in-law decided to write a book um, covering the basic general understanding of the halachas of a Jew in their daily life, in Orachaim. And um, it really was almost an imitation of the Chai Adam, but it was, it was focused also to the yeshivas, the, the Chovetz Chaim. And... Uh, he, he, he wrote it together with his son and his son-in-law. His son's name was, was Arielei Hakoim Pupko. So you might say uh, the Chovetz Chaim was, uh, was Kagan and his son was Pupko. That was quite common in Lithuania because uh, the laws under the Tsar were such that um, uh, if you had one son, that he wouldn't have to be conscripted into the army if you had an, uh, an only son. But if you had more than one son, so the other son would be forced uh, compulsory conscription would have to go to the army. So many people changed the, the names of their sons and they presented to the authorities that this was the only son of a particular family. So Chavitz Chaim's son took on the name of his uh, of his wife, who was a Pupko. It's a famous Pupko family all over the world. Um, so that was, so he, and he helped his father write the, the Mishnah Bura together with um, his son-in-law, Ratzvi Hirsch Levinson. Um, now, a, a similar thing was also done by uh, Rav Shlomo Gansfried. Rav Shlomo Gansfried was in Central Europe, in Romania, around there, and he wrote what was called the Kitzer Shulchan Aruch. So we see that, that the great rabbis at the time also realized that you needed to have practical works that would encourage and make simple and clear what, how to observe halacha. And so Rav Gransfried wrote the Kitzur Shulchan Aruch. Kitzur Shulchan Aruch wasn't very popular in Eastern Europe, wasn't very popular in Lithuania, um, although in Central Europe and Western Europe it became very popular. And of course today it is very popular as well. Um, so the Chovetz Chaim now, he writes his Mishnah Bura. And in his Mishnah Bura, he writes in his introduction an amazing thing. He says that in our times, many people, many Jews don't believe in eternity. They believe that life is only here and now, which is a great tragedy, which undermines all of Jewish observance. Because according to our understanding, according to the Torah, which was given by God to Moses on Mount Sinai, that this world is a world of work, is a world of preparation, is a world of, um, of, of putting in the effort in order to develop spiritually, in order to listen to the commandments of the king, in order to observe God's Torah. And through doing so in this world, we earn our place in eternity. We earn our portion in Olam Haba in the next world. But it's only through the observance of the mitzvahs and the framework of the mitzvahs within which we have a tremendous amount of inner work to do, of spiritual work to do. When we follow that framework and when we observe the Torah and the mitzvahs, so then we become noble human beings and we are um, worthy of the eternal reward in Olam Rabba. And that's the, the reason why the world was created. The world was created to give us free will 
and give us the opportunity to develop and grow spiritually, either to listen to our higher selves, our neshama, our soul, our eternal soul, or our lower selves, our body, and we are make up a conglomerate of these two polar opposites, the, the physical and the spiritual, the body and the soul, the uh, Yetzirah and the Yetzirah. And depending which way we go, which way we choose to go in our lives, will depend on how our eternity will look. And the Chobetz Chaim explained and he said that, as we say, the Pasuk says, that you should observe my Torah and mitzvahs v'chai by him, and you should live by them. He says the Torah is telling us, God's telling us, that that's how we achieve eternal life. Eternal life is achieved by living according to the Torah and the mitzvahs. As we say when we get an aliyah, that an eternal life Hashem placed within us. So that was his intention, was to build the soul, was to feed the soul, was to give eternal sustenance to the soul. As the Chavaz Chaim said, by observing the mitzvahs and keeping God's commandments, that nourishes the soul, that gives sustenance to our soul for eternity. So if we do so, we will have a portion in the eternal world. If we don't do so, so we just body and we'll have a very small, a very sad, a very humiliating place in the eternal world. So that was the intention of the Mishnah Bura, to write it, to make the Allah accessible to Jews in order that we can feed the soul and do the mitzvahs. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. Discussing the classic work of the Chofetz Chaim, the Mishnah Bura. Um, today is the day when the seven-year cycle, the Dirshu Dafa Yomi Ba'alacha program has ended. And uh, we, many, many... Jews here in South Africa have now completed the Mishnah Bura, which is a wonderful achievement. And so we are um, talking about how momentous the writing of the Mishnah Bura was and how it has significantly impacted upon the Jewish world. So the Chavetz Chaim said in his introduction to the Mishnah Bura that the goal is to give sustenance to the soul. The, the God created the world in order that we choose, we have our Bechira, free choice, and we choose the service of God and the connection to eternity and the striving to go beyond our limited physical selves. Um, and the opportunity to do that is by observing the mitzvahs. And so the spiritual, just as the body needs to be sustained and needs nutrients and needs um, food, so too does the soul. And the food for the soul is the observance of the mitzvahs. And the purpose of this book, the Mishnah Bura, is to explain to Jews exactly what to do and how to do it, how to observe God's mitzvahs. And actually, it's very similar when he wrote, the Chofetz Chaim wrote um, Shemira Saloshan. He wrote the book Chofetz Chaim, and uh, he quotes the famous Gemara, which says that uh, a peddler comes to town, and the peddler said, Mia Isha Chofetz Chaim, Ohevi Amin Tois. Who wants, he, he, the peddler said, who wants life? Who wants life? Who wants the elixir of life? the secret to eternity and obviously a big crowd gathered around him in the marketplace everybody wants eternity and he's quoted the pasuk of David HaMelech who desires life who loves to have days of good in their life they should guard their tongue from speaking evil and their lips from speaking deceitfully so that's what the Chavetz Chaim um, 
he said, so that is the, the, the secret to eternity, is of course observing the mitzvahs, and in particular being careful with not speaking Lashon Hara. Um, and that's why he called the Sefer Chofetz Chaim. So his, his motivation to write that Sefer about the laws of, um, of uh, speech that is damaging was the same motivation that drove him to write the Mishnah Bura, which would cover all of the rest of Halacha um, for a Jew to follow. So the Chofetz Chaim, um, he, he wanted this book to be um, available and accessible to all Jews. And so all Jews would be able to learn the Halacha and know the Halacha and observe the Halacha. So he wrote it in three sections, um, which was quite, his style is absolutely brilliant. So he wanted it to be learned and studied in the yeshivas. And so the, what he chose to do was to have three parts to it. So on each page you have these three parts on it. The one is the Mishnah itself, which is the Psak Halacha, which is for the masses. It's the basic observance, the guidance to the observance. So you have the Shulchan Aruch and the Ramah, and then the Mishnah explains what the practical observance is based on those laws in the Shulchan Aruch and the Ramah. He then has the second part of it is the Ber Halacha. The Ber Halacha is the Chavetz Chaim explains the background of how he got to that Psak. Why he chose to say what he did in the Mishnah Bura. Now that is for the scholars. The scholars want to see if you really want to understand halacha properly, you, you learn up the Gemaras, you learn what the base Yosef says, which is the commentary on the tour. You maybe look at some of the Rishonim, and then you can see what the Shulchan Aruch says, and you can see um, what the what the Mishnah Buru says, and you look at the Ber Halacha. So the Ber Halacha explains how he took all of that information, all those discussions, and came to his psak in the Mishnah Buru. So that is for the yeshivas, and that was very popular in the yeshivas. And the third part is what's called the Shire Hatzion, which is all the sources that the, at the Chobetz Chaim wrote, which it's a monumental scholarly work, a work of incredible genius and something that really did transform the Jewish world. And so he, he, the, the goal of the Chobetz Chaim was that every Jew would have accessibility to the halacha and to observance and it would be universal across the Jewish world. Um, the Rabbi Levine, Rabbi Wine's father-in-law, said that uh, people would come and ask the Chovetz Chaim Shailas, like about laws of Shabbos and the laws of of uh, of brachas, and he would say, "Let's see what the Mishnah Bura says." And he would open the Mishnah Bura. He wanted Klai Yisrael to refer to this Sefer as the guidance in Halacha, and uh, that's so. In other words, a person doesn't need an answer from their Rabbi; they can find the answer in the book, which was a a distinct shift in the makeup of the Jewish world at the time. Um, and he talks, a, a, a very big section in the Mishnah Bura is the laws of Shabbos. Um, there are six sections of the Mishnah Bura and two of them, the, the, the third and the fourth chalakim, um, the third and the fourth volumes deal with the laws of Shabbos. And they, the, that's the biggest section. Um, and in the introduction, the Chavaz Chaim writes about how heartbreaking it was to see um, Jews going away from Shabbos and breaking Shabbos. Um, in Eastern Europe, up, up until the end of the um, 18th century, so, and, and certainly even the, the end of the 19th century, I would say the middle of the 19th century, so Shabbos was sacred um, for Jews in Eastern Europe. You know, the Jews all over the world, you know, for example, in Salonika, which is part of Greece, so the ports were controlled by the Jews, and there was no... Um, the ports were completely closed on Shabbos. In Gibraltar also, in Gibraltar to this day, 
there's very little commercial activity. It's all closed on Shabbos. That's how it was in Eastern Europe until the middle of the uh, 19th century. Um, and from then on, from about the 1860s, 1870s, so uh, religious observance was swept away and there was public civil Hashem, it became quite widespread. We know from our ancestors that came to South Africa, those that went to the United States at that time, there was massive immigration from Eastern Europe at the end of the 19th century just because life was completely miserable for Jews. There was terrible anti-Semitism, terrible state-sanctioned anti-Semitism from the Tsar. There was compulsory cons conscription. There was very little economic opportunity for the Jews. The suffering was just absolutely terrible. And so the new world promised a much better life and people left in droves. They came, they went mainly to the United States. Many came to South Africa too. And the first thing that they dropped was their Shabbos observance, which was absolutely heartbreaking and devastating um, in terms of the keeping together and observance of the Torah, of Hashem's Torah. So the Chobetz Chaim, he writes that, you know, to keep Shabbos, if you want to keep Shabbos, you have to know the laws of Shabbos. And you, the laws of Shabbos are complicated and detailed. And one would have to learn these halachas in order to be able to do what Hashem wants us to do and observe His holy day, the magnificent day of Shabbos. And so that's what he writes. His, his intention and goal is to make the laws of Shabbos accessible and um, clear for the observance of all of Klai Israel, all of the Jewish people. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. Today we've had a lot of fun talking about the classic book, the Mishnah Burah, written by the Chofetz Chaim. Today is the end of the seven-year cycle studying one page a day of the Mishnah Burah, um, which has been completed by many, many people here in South Africa and all over the world. And there are worldwide celebrations this evening um, here in Johannesburg and I think tomorrow night in Cape Town uh, with Jonathan Rizal being having a concert here in Joburg tomorrow night in Cape Town and all over the world. So we've discussed what the Mishnah Burah was, what the intention of the great and holy Chovetz Chaim was to write the Mishnah Burah, and how as soon as it was printed, it spread across the Jewish world and became really, um, as you say, wiped, swept the board and became the classic work of Halacha. And interestingly enough, when it was first uh, printed, so the rabbis in Lithuania remained loyal to the Aruch HaShulchan. They preferred the Aruch HaShulchan, but the yeshivas quickly embraced the Mishnah Bura. And as the Chofetz Chaim saw, the future of Klai Yisrael would come through the yeshivas, through the students of the yeshivas. And so therefore it followed on that the basic halachic work to be learnt and to be followed in Klai Yisrael um, was the Mishnah Bura. It, was it has been republished many, many times, hundreds of times, and literally has changed the Jewish world. The first uh, editions, actually, the, the Rabbi Wines has in his possession an edition, one, the first edition of the Mishnah Bura, which is written in pencil by the Chofetz Chaim Muga. Muga means checked, that he checked that every page was there. He was worried that the printers would leave some pages out, and he didn't want to sell an item that had a, a, a fault in it, that had a deficiency, and so he checked that every page was there and he wrote that this one's checked and then he could sell it, which is quite unbelievable. But uh, its popularity 
I grew very quickly and uh, it was it spread far and wide throughout the Jewish world. And as I mentioned, there were there'd be hundreds of times that it's been republished and has literally changed the Jewish world. Um, and uh, the Chavetz Chaim also, which is important to mention, he gave within the Mishnah Baruch, tells us how to deal with new halakhic questions that were relevant to the times. And uh, it was written in the at the end of the um, 18th century, end of 19th century, sorry. So um, we now, you know, over 100 years later, of course, we have many different new halakhic issues that we have to deal with that are a consequence of the modern world. But the principles that were laid out by the Chovetz Chaim have been of great assistance in terms of dealing with the halakhic in a, the, the, the issues that we face in our modern world. So um, we, we see that the goal of the Chovetz Chaim was to provide nourishment for the soul of a Jew. And today when a Jew has learned the Mishnah and observes what's written in the Mishnah so that connects a Jew to eternity and certainly sustains a Jewish soul. And so we, the Chovetz Chaim's goal has been achieved um, in an incredible way. And we therefore encourage everybody, every Jew, to learn the Mishnah Bura. It's a wonderful Sefer. It's an easy Hebrew, an easier Hebrew than the Talmud and the Gemara. And uh, it is the pathway to eternity. It tells us what we're supposed to be doing and how to observe the mitzvahs and describes to us very clearly how to achieve our purpose in this world and fulfill the will of our Creator. So if you haven't done so yet, join the program. We start again tomorrow. We're starting again from the beginning tomorrow. Because although we've been through it, we don't remember it. And one has to go through these things many times in order to remember them properly and clearly and get them down um, in a very understandable, clear way. And so join the program. Join the Dirshu Dafa Yom program. Learn. It's 20 to 25 minutes. If you'd like to join our program, please let me know. You can um, send your details to the station and they'll forward them to me. And uh, I'll put you on our list. You'll receive the Shira every day. Look online, there's the Dirshu app, there's Dirshu SA, um, and there are Shirim available online. So join the program, change your life, and connect to the vision of the Chovetz Chaim and ensure that as Jews we all have our peace of eternity. Thank you so much for listening and have a wonderful day.